just before Jordan comes to speak to us, we're going to read from God's Word, 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, starting to read at verse 5, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. 1 John 1, verse 5, walking in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And God will bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Jordan. Thank you, Brother Robert. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? I can see by the looks on your beautiful faces that we all know the value of an hour. (laughs) Praise God. Well, we're going to try to take this next time and really hear from the Lord. This morning we are continuing our devoted series. And I've been so blessed to... uh, be part of this series. I know many of you are giving testimony about how the Lord is just bringing each of these messages just at the right time in our lives. He's awesome, isn't he? He's awesome to speak to us and faithful to give us that part of scripture that we need for what we're going through. He's able to apply it to the situations of our lives because his desire is that we would grow in him. Today we are actually in part 11 of our series. Woohoo! We've got two more weeks after this one. We're going to culminate the series on Easter Sunday with the discipline of celebration. And then post-Easter, when we start back in April, we're we're going through a series on relationships. And um, there's another book that we're going to be leaning on heavily, apart from the Bible. But um, this, this book is actually full of scripture. It's called Building Up One Another by Gene Getz. And it's really another classic and it has to do with uh, interpersonal relationships. And, uh, you know, God wants to bless us through the relationships we have one another. Our, our, our walk as Christians is not just vertical, it's horizontal. And, uh, and we're, we're not just blessed directly by God, but also with each other, being in relationship and in fellowship with one another. This is what God has called us to do, to build one another up. So I'm very excited about that series as well. Today we are discussing the discipline of confession. The discipline of confession. Confession is so important to the devoted life. It's critical to the walk of a Christian, the discipline of confession, as all of these disciplines are. And uh, one thing that we noted at the beginning of the series is that each of these disciplines builds upon the other. Um, You know, last week we were talking about guidance, the discipline of guidance. But that discipline of guidance wouldn't have 
had the same nuances to it, the same character to it, without first discussing the discipline of submission. As we're first submitted to God's will, then the discipline of guidance uh, is even made possible. And today we're talking about the discipline of confession. One of my uh, passions is uh, leadership. I try to read as many uh, leadership books as I, as I can get my hands on. And um, I, I love leadership development. It's uh, one of the things I really like to, I really enjoy. And last October I was thinking about the character of a leader. And really this applies to all Christians. All, all of us are called to um, not necessarily be leaders out in front, but we're all called to lead our lives in a certain way that are examples for others. So in that way, we're all called to be leaders. And I wrote this, Before leading anyone, a leader must lead themselves and exhibit a consistent lifestyle of humility, repentance, and growth. What this means for us today is that the discipline of confession is meant to be a regular part of our lives. All of these disciplines that we've been studying begin with the grace of God. God has made the discipline of confession possible for us because God our Father desires our freedom. Each week we've been touching on uh, the disciplines in such a way that we're indicating the, the discipline's corresponding freedom. The truth is that sin separates us from God. And we need confession. Let me say that again. Sin separates us from God. And this is a great burden to God's heart because His desire is that we would be in intimate fellowship with Him. This was His plan all along. That we would be connected to Him. And because of sin, that put a, a barrier, a, a wall between us. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's taken away the veil that separates us and made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. Amen? Amen. However, sin still separates us from God in, in, in a certain sense. Not... For the Christian, what happens is, is when we sin, we still sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We sense that there is a, a, an issue, an impasse. I don't know if, if uh, well, I'm sure many of us and all of us have, have gone through it from one time or another, but when we, we were at odds with a friend or relative or something happened, maybe not necessarily a sin, but some type of clash, some type of butting of heads, and when we think about that person, we know that just as they come to our, our thoughts and minds, we, we know that there's something between us. We can tell that there's a, there's a barrier. It's not, it's not just a, a, a clean and clear fellowship as it should be. But there is something that separates us in that relationship. It's the same way with the Lord. When we're in sin, sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't, we're not fully aware of it. But the, that presence of, of, of the grace of God manifesting itself through the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon our lives and we sense that we need to make things right before God. God is able to bring us back into the light. The truth is that sin separates us from God. God desires our good, our happiness, not simply superficially, but at our core, 
the joy of a fulfilled life that is only possible once our sins have been forgiven and we are brought back into a righteousness that God has provided. He's brought us back into fellowship with God. God desires our happiness. Now, I'm not saying that that means that God wants us to just live a happy life. What I'm saying is at our very core, God wants us to experience the joy that comes from being in relationship with Him. Our hearts cannot be at rest until we are in relationship with God. I have a friend who uh, is trying all kinds of pursuits. He's trying all kinds of different things to try to fill that space in his heart. And every time I see him, I just remind him that all of these things may be good in of themselves, but they're all pointing at something. They all show that they're lacking because true fulfillment and true joy, even when things superficially are a mess, true joy comes from knowing that we are in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Is that you today? Are you in a place where you know you need to make things right? Is the conviction of the Holy Spirit on you to confess something? I want to invite you up this morning. No, I'm kidding. We won't go there. But maybe in your heart this morning, you can confess that before God and ask Him to make things right. Maybe you could take a brother or sister next to you, someone that you trust, someone that you have confidence in. And you can say, brother, sister, I need to bring this to you and before God this morning. Foster writes, at the heart of God is the desire to give and forgive. See, no one has to force God's hand to forgive. When we sin, when we fall short, we should run to the cross. Because God is not someone who we have to beg and, and, and pry and, and, and say, God, oh, you know, I'm wondering if you're going to forgive me or not. No, God is so pleased to forgive. Yes, God is hurt by our sin. Ultimately, all sin is against God. But God's desire is that we would be made right with Him. It's His passion and His very, the purpose for our lives that when, when we're far away that He would take the initiative and, and, and draw to us. Even in, in the Garden of Eden in the beginning when Adam said He searched for Him. He said, Adam, where are you? He came to Him and covered Him. God desired to forgive. He desires it. When we confess and ask God to forgive us, this isn't something that God does reluctantly but rejoices at our forgiveness because God doesn't want anything to separate Him and His love from the objects of His love, we, His children. So when we talk about this discipline, when we talk about all the disciplines, the first thing that I need to present to you is that it all begins with God. It begins with God's love. This is why we have the discipline of confession. It's founded and based on the love of God. He's given us this grace. It was God's love that sent Jesus to the cross. It's through the work of the cross that forgiveness, and by extension, the discipline of confession is even possible. Confession would not be possible without the work of the cross. Confession would not be possible 
without Jesus and His work. The discipline of confession is a grace of God given to us for our freedom, made possible by the work of Jesus on the cross, mandated by the love of God. This, meaning the cross, Foster says, was His, Jesus' highest and most holy work. The work that makes confession and forgiveness of sins possible. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a French abbot, often attributed to writing the poem that eventually led uh, and became the hymn, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, writes, To shame our sins he blushed in blood. He closed his eyes to show us God. Let all the world fall down and know that none but God such love can show. He took our shame. Some, some of us have children, and uh, one of the, we're all children, we've all been a child, we all have parents, and um, one of the things that I, I want to make sure with, with my son is that that I never indicate to him that I'm embarrassed by him. I think that's important to me because just growing up, oftentimes, um, you know, the three of us kids, my sister and brother and I, were probably doing what we weren't supposed to be doing, acting out, being kids. And uh, my my father came from the old school, and and, uh, oftentimes he would rebuke us, and he would let us know how much of an embarrassment we were to him. If you have kids, have they ever embarrassed you in public? Let me tell you the difference here. Is that God our Father stepped into humanity and willingly was embarrassed for us. He took our shame. He willingly was a public disgrace for us. He took our shame. His grace is greater. There's a a song I've been listening to lately. It's called First and Only. It's a beautiful song written by Elevation Worship Band released on their latest album, Here is in Heaven. has these words, I will abide, be still and know that you are God, for you are mine, and in your presence I'm alive. Here in this place, within the shadow, I am safe. Every mistake, fading into the light of grace. What shadow are we in? We are in the shadow of the cross. It is in the cross we are hidden. Without the cross of Christ, there is no salvation. There is no hiding place. Foster says, it meaning the cross is the ground upon which we can know that confession and forgiveness are realities that transform us. So it begins with God's love and is made possible by Jesus' work and now leads us our role and responsibility. 
was sharing last night, uh, sorry, last week at the Sunday night uh, service, uh, just this image that I had concerning God's grace over our lives. And I want to share it with you again this morning. Uh, we've all seen uh, people take pictures that, uh, you know, have too much light in the background, and we call this effect the, the background being washed out. I don't know if you know what I'm, I'm talking about. It's just when the, 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 the focus is not correct and there's too much light in the lens. I don't really know what's happening there, but basically you can't see anything. Uh, and the Lord was showing me this picture because He's showing me that His light is so great that we are hidden behind it. That every mistake, every shame, every fault, and every failure is hidden by the light of His grace. We are washed out in Him. So it begins with God's love, made possible by Jesus' work, and now leads us to our role and responsibility. Amen. Amen. This leads us to our part. You may say, That's nice, God's love, the cross. But now what is my responsibility in all of this? I I, I like the first two parts here. I like how it's founded on God's love. I I appreciate Jesus' work for me, but now you're telling me that there's something I need to do. Yes. As we have said, Foster noted, unless God gives the grace, no genuine confession can be made. But it is also a discipline because there are things we must do. It is a consciously chosen course of action that brings us under the shadow of the Almighty. Like all the disciplines, confession is a grace of God, an instrument given for our benefit. But like any gift of God, it is useless unless we use it. All of us have those uh, gifts we get at Christmas time, some of them that have been so useful, and some of them not so much. Sometimes we look at God's Word and we see all the provision that God has for us, but it's not just theology that we need here. We need the practice of it. It's not just presenting to the church week after week correct doctrine, but the application of correct doctrine. I wanted to preface by talking about God's love because the discipline of confession is something oftentimes very difficult for us. But we need to change our understanding of what the discipline of confession is because this is a tool, an instrument given for us, for our benefit. It's for our blessing. Not all the things that are for our good uh, are maybe necessarily what we would like or, or what comes easy to us or what comes natural to us. Sometimes they can be very difficult processes what the Lord puts us through, especially when it comes to the Lord's discipline. Remember that scripture that encourages us that He disciplines those whom He has accepted as His children. He corrects and rebukes the ones that He loves. Not only is it for our benefit, Foster lists the discipline of confession as one of the corporate disciplines. That was maybe uh, the change that we see this week. We're into the last section of disciplines of course, where we're talking about the corporate discipline. So it's not just for us uniquely, the discipline of confession. It is for us as a body. It's for each other, for one another. Meaning that we have a blessing for ourselves, but also we have a responsibility for the sake of the body of Christ. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, I owe it to you. I owe it to you. I owe it to you. Foster puts it this way. If we, not of our merit, but sheer grace, have been given the authority to set others free, how dare we withhold this great gift? See what he's saying there? We, the church, have been given this gift. The discipline of confession. To set others free. It's not just... uh, Pastor, the elders, or the deacons that we would you need to come to. If so, we'd have we'd have a like long lineup. But all of us, the church. In fact, we're going to read a scripture that shows that it's it's given to the body of Christ for us to be that function and to operate in that discipline in one another's lives. He then uh, Foster quotes Bonhoeffer saying, "Our brother has been given to us to help us." He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead. And he forgives our sins in Christ's name. And keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. That's Bonhoeffer. First and foremost, we need it for us. John Ortberg writes, We genuinely struggle with the reality of living in grace. Because of this, God has given us the practice of confession. We need confession as a means to combat the struggle of sin. Why do we sin? Orpric says, frequently I sin while attempting to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Frequently, he says, he sins while attempting to meet a legitimate need in his life but doing it in a way that God has not provisioned for us to work in. We struggle with that. We struggle living in God's grace. And because of this, God has given us the practice of confession. One of the hallmark passages in the Word of God as it it relates to confession is James chapter 5, verse 16. I will read it to you. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we come into the light, when we expose the darkness, it loses its grip on, uh, it loses its grip on us. The emphasis on this passage in James is that the discipline of confession is for the body. It says, confess your sins to one another. Carry each other's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. But this is something we are to do and to be for each other. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 21, a few verses after that famous verse where we talk about, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. It says this in verse 19, and this is the judgment That the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone, verse 20, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light 
so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There is a struggle to confess to one another because we don't want to be exposed. When we sin, we know we need a covering. The discipline of confession is about the choice of covering. Are we going to cover ourselves and hide in the darkness? Or are we going to accept God's covering, the cross of Christ? This passage speaks to the motivations of our hearts. The bottom line question is, are we willing to step into the light? You see, we have a choice. Our choice is this. When we sin, we need a covering. So which covering are we going to take? Hiding ourselves in the darkness or accepting the grace of God? In order for us to move away from hiding in the darkness, hiding our sin, doing our best to attempt our, our best to cover our sin, Or are we going to allow God's light to shine in that area of our lives? To expose it so that we can be washed out by the cross. We can be covered by His grace. Let me tell you that in this area, there's no comfort. But in here, there is restoration, there is wholeness, there is healing, there is returning to the path of righteousness? Are we willing to confess? Ortberg reminds us it is about being healed and changed. When we bring our sins out of darkness back to God's light, two things happen. First, we are liberated from guilt and refreshed in the reality of grace. Second, we are a little less likely to sin in the same way in the future. God's paths of righteousness will begin to look and feel more attractive. Remember, confession is about our freedom. It's about bringing us back into right relationship with God. We need this. God provided it. So let's do our part to bring glory to God through our willingness and through our willing obedience. Many of you remember the Christian band DC Talk. Toby Mac. Anybody? No? Okay. Michael Tate. He's with Newsboys now. Great voice. Great range. Kevin Max. I think he was a drummer. In 1995, they released the song, In the Light. Here are a few of the verses. I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I am the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a savior. The disease of the self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring the sickness under control. And the chorus is, I want to be in the light as you are in the light. Lead me to the presence of the Father. I will follow right behind true love. I will find all I want is to be in the light of love. All I want is to be in the light. 
I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. Lord, be my light and be my salvation. Because all I want is to be in the light. One of the most prolific authors on the subject of moral theology was St. Alphonsus. Not sure how many of us know him, but um, he said that confession has essentially three components. For a good confession, three things are necessary. He said, number one, an examination of conscience. Number two, sorrow. And number three, a determination to avoid sin. Let's walk through each of these components. These really relate to the idea of what the scripture talks about repentance. First, an examination of conscience. Foster writes, we are inviting God to move upon the heart and show us areas that need His forgiving and healing touch. Often we know exactly what we need to confess. Sometimes we need the Lord to show us. In these instances, we we come before God in prayer. We quiet ourselves. We ask for God to direct our prayers and lead us in our confession. Maybe that's something we we need to do. Just in your own heart and mind, pray and say, God, is there something in my life that's not pleasing before you? Is there some unforgiveness somewhere? Is there some grudge somewhere that, that has been overlooked? Is there some area in my life that you would speak to today? And Lord, with your help, my desire is to make things right. We quiet ourselves and pray prayers of confession. Importantly, Ortberg notes, confession always starts by placing ourselves under the protection of God. In order for us to walk in the discipline of confession, we have to trust God. We have to trust God that He has our best intentions at heart, that He knows what our best is. We place ourselves under the protection of God, asking for His light to shine in the right place with the right intensity. And I, I brought up this quote because it's important. Some of us live under tremendous guilt and we shouldn't. The scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means God, through that prayer of confession, has taken our sins and removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. And there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right before God. It's all by the grace of God. Every attempt we have on our own uh, part is just religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is about God's plan to reach man. It's by His grace. Second, it's not only about an examination of our conscience, asking God's light to reveal to us the areas of our hearts that uh, need to be put under the cross. It's also about repentance. It's also about godly sorrow. What is godly sorrow? Foster writes, Its sorrow is an abhorrence at having committed the sin. A deep regret at having offended the heart of the Father. You see, regrets, excuse me, signal growth. I've heard this statement so many times. Uh, I have no regrets. Have you heard that? Maybe you said it once or twice. 
I have no regrets. I, 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 I'm too cool to live with regret. Listen, I got tons of regrets. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, you know, if we, if we didn't have regrets, then are we really growing? Because are we really looking back at someone, the person who we were, and saying, I wish I wouldn't have done that because now in the person who we are, we wouldn't do those same things, right? So that's showing that we've changed as a person. We've grown because we regret those things. I'm not saying that we need to live under a cloud of regret and stay so, so stuck in the past that it prevents us from being who we need to be today. But what I am saying is, I have a problem with people who say I have no regrets. You know, I think I understand what they're saying. They're saying that even the mistakes I've made, they've been learning experiences, and that has helped me to grow and to change. And although I regret the consequences and the things that happened there, um, I'm thankful that God is able to turn even those things, even those mistakes, and use them for His glory. Ortberg echoes this sentiment of Foster's when he writes, True confession is not just an exchange of information. It involves entering into the pain of the one I've hurt and into God's pain over sin. The Apostle Paul called this godly sorrow. The scripture talks about that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. All sin is ultimately about God. And it's important that as we enter in the discipline of confession, that we allow God to examine our hearts, to bear our hearts before God, and then to capture God's heart for that area in our lives. For us to see sin as utterly sinful. For us to understand that sin is ultimately against God. To get God's heart on the issue. Knowing that whatever that is, it's just something that, again, prevents us from being in a fulfilled relationship with Him. Third, and finally, confession is about adopting a new understanding. Foster notes that John Wesley once said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Confession is about capturing God's view of sin. Confession is about God granting us His perspective. Orper comments, I need to see my sin with new eyes, new insight, new understanding. When did I depart from the path of righteousness is a helpful question. As we go before God, we ask God, Lord, show me at, at what step did I depart from the path of righteousness? Where did I go wrong and why? This will help us adopt that new understanding. Let me tell you what the new understanding is. You say, what is, this, what is the new understanding that we need to have? And then I'll be done my introduction. Just playing. The new understanding that we need to have is that the painful consequences of sin always exceed the cost of doing what is right. Doing what's right has a cost. Doing the right thing, there's a cost to it. There's a cost involved. Sometimes it's easy not to do the right thing, often, in the moment. But what I, am help, what I desire for us to come to this new understanding is that the ultimate cost, the total cost of ownership for our actions here, 
for sin will always be greater than the cost of doing what's right. Uh, when I was in sales many years ago, uh, we would always talk about the total cost of ownership. So what that means is that when you buy something, you buy like a, a car, let's say, there's an upfront cost. There's the cost of just today, just getting the car. But then there's the cost to service it and maintain it and tires and all that stuff. Brakes and everything it needs. And insurance and gas. Okay, we could go on, right? Okay, it's expensive, right? Rarely do we, when we buy something, do we understand immediately in the beginning what we call the total cost of ownership. And what I'm saying is that the cost, the painful consequences of sin will always exceed the cost of doing what's right. If you do what's right, you get a bargain. You get a bargain. Rather, rather doing it twice over, do it once correctly, right? Conclusion, let me remind you of a psalm of David. And I was so happy this morning when uh, Oria had read Psalm 51 because that really is connected to this other psalm, Psalm 32. I'm only going to read the first five verses. This is known as the Psalm of Thanksgiving. It says this in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. ESV Study Bible notes, this psalm is usually classified as the thanksgiving hymn in which the worshipers give thanks to God for the joy of having their sins forgiven. The commentator lifts out a principle from this psalm, the doctrine that only the forgiven are truly happy. Verse 1 and 2 state the theme answering the question, who is truly happy or truly blessed? See, no one needs to compel God to show mercy. Rather, the faithful confess their sins because they believe He is merciful. Here we see the contrast of the coverings. David covered his sin. He kept silent. But when he confessed, God then covered his iniquity. Foster concludes that everything is filtered through the light of the cross. Not all of our confession has to do with sin. There are things we need to confess that maybe in and of themselves are not necessarily sinful, but they're burdens that we are carrying that need to be exposed by the light of God's grace. I want to close with this one historical uh, story. England-born Helen H. Lemmel, 1863-1961, lived most of her life in America. She was a gifted concert soloist, a music teacher at the Moody Bible Institute, and music critic for the Seattle Post. She also worked as a director of a women's choral group that was a regular part of the Billy Sunday Evangelical Meetings. 
Helen wrote the words and music of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus in 1922 to be sung at those meetings. The inspiration for Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, which Helen entitled The Heavenly Vision, came from the writings of author and artist Lilius Trotter, 1853-1928. Lilius Trotter was a brilliant artist whose talent opened the door to wealth and influence. Her other love was missions. After struggling in prayer for two years, Trotter came to the conclusion that she must lay down her love of art in order to fix her eyes solely on Jesus. And on his calling to the mission field, she subsequently served for more than 38 years as a missionary to Muslims in Algeria. She also authored several books and tracts. The following is an excerpt from her track, Which Passion Will Prevail? She says this, Never has it been so easy to live in half a dozen harmless worlds at once. Art, music, social science, games, motoring, the following some profession and so on. And between them we run the risk of drifting about the good hiding the best. Sometimes the greatest enemy of greatness is the good. It's easy to find out whether our lives are focused and if so, where the focus lies. Where do our thoughts settle when consciousness comes back in the morning? Where do they swing back when the pressure is off during the day? Dare to have it out with God and ask Him to show you whether or not all is focused on Christ and His glory. Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look at Him and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Let's pray. Father, in this place this morning, that we would have our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, you took our shame for us. Like a father who covers the indiscretions of their children, Lord, you covered us in your light. Lord, it's for your glory that we confess. It's for us to say, Lord, this sin in my life has offended you, has hurt you, but your glory is worth it, Lord. The glory of upholding your word as true in my life. Lord, this morning we declare that your word is true in our lives. What you've spoken about us is true. What you've said about our condition is true. There's no one in all of time and history in the world that has ever described the human condition and the heart of man as the Lord Jesus. What you've said about my heart is true, Lord. 
And I'm in need of you today. I'm in need of confessing my sin before you and having your blood cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, forgive us for the times where we've covered ourselves in darkness. And Lord, if there be something today in any of our hearts, help us to be quick to make it right. Help us, Lord, as we seek to develop in these disciplines, and in particular the discipline of confession, knowing that it's for our freedom, it's for our good, for our benefit, that by your grace you've provided a way for us to be made right with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.